Well, I believe that there are some here tonight who are here for the very first time, and maybe you're going to hear the message of the cross, the message of the resurrection, in a way that grips your heart in a way that it never has before. So what I want you to do now, I'd like us to pray on our own just for a moment and pray, even if you're not a Christ follower yet, even if you're an atheist or an agnostic, to pray, Jesus, if you're real, would you reveal yourself to me tonight? That you would, you would remove yourself from any idea that this is just some type of religious experience that you're having to make a family member happy or a friend who's invited you. That this isn't some kind of religious hoop that perhaps if Jesus is real, he wants to reveal himself to you. Can you pray that right now? Just silently there on your own in your seat. Yes, Lord, we pray that you would reveal yourself to every heart in here tonight. For those who already know you, Lord, we pray that your resurrection would gain more traction in our lives and lead us into greater freedom and greater enjoyment of you. And Lord, I, I pray for those who have not heard this message before or who have resisted it in the past, Lord, who have not understood it in the past, that you would bring clarity. You would help them, Lord, to walk away from self and run to you who we know you have open arms and give their life to you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So why don't you take a moment and look up Matthew chapter 27, verse 57, either in your phone or in a Bible next to you there. You can look in the table of contents for Matthew if you have a hard time finding it. Uh, Matthew chapter 27, verse 57. Verse 57, Matthew chapter 27. No matter how many times a pastor says it, there's always at least one who says, what was that again? Matthew chapter 27, verse 57. And why don't we stand together as we read the greatest, most important, most redemptive moment in all of history. Here we go. Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. But they didn't find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Moving on to... The next section here, 27 verse, chapter 27, verse 11. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, my eyes are failing me. Yeah, I'm just making sure you guys were awake. Yeah, all right, let's try again. In the real Bible, not the one that I was just reading. Matthew 27, verse 57. Thank you, Lord. We thank you that you are the pastor of this church and not me. Matthew 27, verse 57. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out from the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. 
The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priest and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been risen from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a card, take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know, ta- know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. After the Sabbath at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee where they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. When the chief priest had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money as they were instructed, and this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Amen. And you may be seated. I wonder what captures your attention from the resurrection account. There have been so many personalities and events within the resurrection narrative that have gripped me over the years. As I've studied and reflected on worship, the Lord soaked in this awesome story. I read Matthew's account of the resurrection tonight because I believe it provides more detail. But just recently, a couple verses from Mark's account of the resurrection uh, spoke to me. In Mark chapter 16, verse 2, it says, Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Imagine how the two Marys must have felt as they approached the tomb. Their friend and beloved teacher, beaten and killed before their eyes. The rawness of their grief. Their sense of despair. They wondered, who will roll away the stone? The stone was very heavy, and as you heard in the story, it was rolled there by the authorities because they wanted to prevent anyone from stealing Jesus' body, namely the disciples. In addition to the stone, there were also trained, highly effective, don't mess with me kind of Roman guards. 
that were standing in front of it. No poor peasant, farmer, um, uh, fisherman, or women would be able to steal the body of Christ. Who would roll away the stone? It's a very real obstacle for them between them and Jesus. When they arrived, we read in Mark 16, verse 4, but when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. An angel rolled the stone away, and the Messiah fulfilled his promise. He had risen from the dead, and that's why we're here tonight celebrating with millions of other Christ followers and seekers around the world. And as part of that celebration tonight, I want to take a moment, a few minutes, to pray with you out loud. Now, you don't have to do this if you're not comfortable, but one at a time, I'd like us to pray loudly so others can hear out loud, thanking Jesus for his resurrection. These can be and need to be so that many get an opportunity, simple prayers, one, two sentences at most, and just one at a time where you pray out loud something like, Thank you, Jesus, that through your resurrection, I have or we have, and then name the benefit. It could be, thank you, Lord, that through your resurrection, I have new life. Or thank you, Lord, that through your resurrection, I now have joy. Or thank you, Lord, that through your resurrection, I'm no longer defined by my past. Does that make sense? We're going to do that now. So you can just shout right there from your seat again, one at a time, just one or two sentences. So why don't we do that? Joe Huber, could you start us out, brother? Thank you, man.
Thank you, Lord, that through your resurrection, we are ensured a place with you forever. We have your Holy Spirit that's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. We thank you, Lord, that one day we'll see you. Thank you for new life in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's with this giant stone in front of the tomb that we have in our minds as we move forward in our talk tonight. For the two Marys, it was a literal stone that separated them from Jesus. But for us, our stones are a little bit more complicated to get our hands around, those things that stand between us and Jesus. We have obstacles as well, stones, so to speak, that separate us from him. And I want to look at three of those tonight that need to be rolled away so we can walk more intimately with him. The first is the stone of doubt, the stone of doubt. And let's face it, believing that someone rose from the dead is not easy. It's a little far-fetched, isn't it? Let alone believing that the Messiah, the king of the universe, rose from the dead and is now reigning even though we can't see him. And even the disciples doubted. The ones who saw the risen Christ, we read it in the story, didn't we? Christianity is the only religion that airs its dirty laundry. You see the rawness of humanity that, well, of course, people are going to doubt that a man rose from the dead, and they've been doubting since the very beginning. But we're given all kinds of solid historic proof in the Bible for the legitimacy of Christ's resurrection. We don't have to check our brains at the door. Jesus, in his great love for us, has given us uh, an unfathomable amount of truth of proof to look at. The empty tomb is the greatest argument for our faith. For example, we see that women were the ones who were the first to witness the resurrected Christ. Women didn't have a vote at the time. Uh, Women's testimony wasn't even permitted in a court of law. They were seen as property. So if you were to make up the story, if it were going to be a clever myth, you might choose uh, a disciple like Luke, who is highly educated, Or maybe the Roman centurion who was highly respected in the community. Maybe you would choose him to be the one who discovered the resurrected Christ. But if you were going to make the story up, the worst ones to choose would be women. Beyond that, the disciples were already filled with fear and trying to avoid, they're trying to avoid the authorities and any association with Christ in an effort to preserve their lives. They weren't looking to be martyred. In fact, the opposite was true. They were looking to save their own skin. That's why they all scattered when Jesus was arrested. And the most influential of the 12 disciples, Peter, denied even knowing Jesus three times. They were not lunatics who were looking to be martyred for a lie. Okay, they weren't. Yet, almost all 12 of them gave their lives as martyrs for their faith in Jesus Christ. Their whole faith was predicated on the resurrection happening. They wouldn't die for a blatant lie. I mean, think about it. Do you remember what the authorities ordered the guards who saw the empty tomb to do? you remember what they ordered them to do? Let's read it again. Matthew 28, verse 11. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. When the chief priest had met with the elders and devised a plan... They gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. 
So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. If the disciples would have stolen the body, which was the popular cover story among the authorities, it was, it was what was trying to be billed to society as the reason why the tomb was empty. The disciples stole the body. And that was also the argument given in a uh, non-Christian source at the time, uh, Josephus, who was a Jewish historian. He spread the same thing. He was not a Christian. And he shared the same story. That, that he, he affirms that that indeed was the story that was circulating in the community. That Jesus' disciples stole the body. Now, if they stole the body and knew for a fact that he didn't rise from the dead, why would they die for their faith? They were clearly sane enough to avoid such a foolish demise, evidenced by the fact that they were terrified to associate him with him when things became dicey around his arrest. They were afraid before he rose from the dead because they weren't confident in his messianic claims. So they definitely would not have faced persecution in his name after he died if he didn't rise from the dead. Their faith was not blind. They, like us, wanted evidence. But the resurrection bolstered their faith and led them to die for the truth. The disciples weren't the only ones who witnessed the risen Christ. They were hundreds, and Paul said so in his letter to believers in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, he says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve, after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom who are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Fallen asleep, by the way, means they died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me, also as to one abnormally born. More than 500 people saw the risen Christ. It's amazing. History is verified when I, multiple eyewitness accounts from different backgrounds agree. All history. The history you learn in your college classes, the history you read in books. We have more than enough to verify that Jesus did indeed rise from the dead. Our other pastor, Kimball, mentioned a great resource last week to deepen our confidence in the truth of the gospel by pointing us to reasonablefaith.org. I'd encourage you to go there. Check it out to go deeper. There is mountains of rational defense for faith in Christ, and it's intellectually lazy not to go there. We, he, at the very least, even if you're an atheist or an agnostic, is the most influential character in all of history. We owe it to him to check out his claims. There's a stone, though, that's much larger that we have to move, and it dwarfs doubt. It's the stone of sin. Stone separates us from God. It's a cancer that's infected us all, and we have no hope of removing it on our own. We've been created by God, and we all, like spoiled children, think that we know best, and we don't want anyone to tell us what to do, let alone God. That's sin. Thinking that our way, the way that we think is best to live, is better than God's way. That we make the rules. We don't live according to God's will or his commands. That's the definition of sin. And the reality is that we cannot fix our broken relationship with God because of this spiritual cancer called sin. 
We try to be good, but there's no good that's good enough for God. We're numb to sin, aren't we? Because it's natural for us, but God sees it in all of its vileness. We fall short no matter how many good things we try to do and no matter how good we think we stack up compared to others. God's standard is not a college class grading system where ones are judged based on how they measure up to others in the class. It doesn't work like that. We all fail. We all fall short. Let's say we were to get 20 of the best broad jumpers, long jumpers in the world, and we take them to Huntington Beach Pier, where I just recently went on vacation with my wife. Beautiful place. And we line them up, and we say, hey, we want you to jump as far as you can in the water. Some may be able to get 20 feet. Some may be able to get 25 feet. Uh, There might even be some that break the world record, and they get 35 feet. But none, none would be able to get all the way to Catalina Island, which is some 28 miles away. It's humanly impossible. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, there's a universal statement that God gives to all men when he says, all, all, all have sinned. And all, all fall short of the glory of God. Everybody, nobody measures up, not even one. We've all missed the mark and we're in need of the saving grace of God. But the good news is that in Romans 5.8, it says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You might remember at our Good Friday service, we shared of the criminals who were on the cross and how the one criminal pinned to the cross cried out for Jesus to rescue him and Jesus did. He had nothing to offer in that moment, no way to measure up. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We don't somehow make ourselves right through good deeds and then somehow merit the rescue of Christ. He rescues us and then he changes us. And then later on in Romans 10, it says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. You'll have a chance to talk to God in a moment to walk in this resurrected life that Jesus wants for all of us. We don't have to be defined by our sin. We can be set free because of the resurrection. But the ultimate consequence of sin is death, and that's the last stone I want to discuss tonight, the stone of death. The stone of death has been rolled away by the mighty power of Christ's resurrection. We may walk into the open tomb When our time comes and our heart stops beating, but the very moment we close our eyes, at that very moment when we breathe our last, the next moment we'll be in the presence of Jesus Christ when we see him face to face. And we'll live with him forever. Death is no longer the punishment for the Christ follower, but the entrance into ultimate joy forever. Jesus came to rescue us from sin and death, and sin is real. Were it not real, Jesus wouldn't have had to die. Sin separates us from God forever, and that's why he died to pay the penalty that we deserve for sin and why he rose from the dead to give us the joy that all of our hearts know is out there, and we seek it in so many foolish things. We seek it in pornography. We seek it in multiple relationships. We seek it with lying and cheating. We seek it through addictions to substances and to entertainment. And it will never satisfy. We are less than human when we don't live for and with Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says we are created by him and for him. 
He is life. And I believe that when Jesus redeems the earth on that great and terrible day of the Lord, I believe that that stone that barricaded the tomb, this is just me, this is just Chris, it's my imagination, it's not in the Bible, I want to make that clear, but I like to let the Lord uh, exercise my imagination, excite me when I read this story. And what I, I think that stone has been kept. And in my mind's eye, it's going to be in the town square of the new earth, that stone. And man, it's going to be glowing. And I picture the blood of Christ used on that stone to inscribe this message from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 54. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, the scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Doesn't death suck? If you had someone close to you die, doesn't it feel like your heart's being ripped out? This is the song of victory that we sing when it seems like death is winning, when it seems like grief and sorrow are choking the life out of us, when it seems like depression and discouragement are pulling the rug out from underneath us. All of those things are a product of sin and death, and they were not God's intent for us. And one day he will make all wrongs right. Our bodies and our spirits don't have to be subject to sin and death. We can share in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The message of Easter is ridiculously simple. And the angel at the empty tomb, an empty tomb gave the first Easter, Easter sermon and probably the shortest. And I want to read it to you now. I also want to invite our worship team on up here. It's probably the most succinct. Matthew 28, verse 5. It says, the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He's risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay, then go quickly and tell his disciples. He is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. Don't be afraid of past issues that you're living in that are echoing into your current situation. You can't seem to climb out from underneath the things that happened to you in your past or the things that you did in the past because he's risen. Don't be afraid of your current circumstances, no matter how insurmountable they are, because he's risen. The stone has been rolled away. Don't let hurts and hang-ups destroy you because he's risen. Don't let worries steal your life and your joy because he's risen. And the angel says to all of us in this first Easter message, he's risen, now go to him. Go to him. And you're going to have an opportunity in just a moment. Uh, Kimball is going to tell you how you can go to him. It's very simple, just as it was during this first Easter sermon. Lord, we thank you so much for your death and your resurrection, that we have new life and new hope in you. Lord, that we haven't even begun to tap into the joy that you have for us because of your resurrection. Well, that the joy of your resurrection doesn't make sense. Even the most depressed among us can dance and sing. Even the one among us who has been 
hurt and victimized more than any other can smile again. Lord, that those throughout the centuries who have suffered oppression and racism, Lord, those who have faced Holocaust and unbelievably, Lord, uh, uh, gruesome acts of men, Lord, they have found hope in your resurrection. Lord, and we pray that you'd help us to stand on their shoulders tonight, Lord, with the throngs of people that have found life in the resurrection throughout history. And we pray that tonight you'd help us to find it once again. Please, Lord, in Jesus' name.